Before we get going, here's a little tease. Around this time of year, some of you in the Northeast begin to see flowers popping up all around you in the woods and fields. But no one planted them. So Eliza wants to know... Why do flowers grow wild? Keep listening after the episode to learn more. But Why is supported by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings may vary. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. In each episode, we ask you to come up with the questions, and it's our job to help find interesting people to give you some answers. You can send us a question by having an adult in your life record you asking it using the memo function on their smartphone. Just tell us your name, how old you are, and where you live, and then ask your question and we will try to find you an answer. We have so many great questions, we can't get to them all, but we love hearing from each one of you. All right, so here's today's episode. They come in all sizes. They're usually green, but sometimes they can be different colors, and they are all around us. It's not a riddle. I'm talking about plants. We are answering some plant questions. How are seeds made? How does germination work? Where does dough come from? Keep listening for the answers to those questions, but before we get to them, let's meet Charlie. I'm Charlie Nardozzi. I'm a garden consultant and coach uh, based here in Vermont, but I do talks and tours all around the country. What does it mean to be an expert on gardens? How does that happen? Wow, you go to school for that. (laughs) So I have a degree in horticulture and gardening um, and a master's degree, and I have a lot of experience. I've grown a lot of plants in my lifetime. Have you ever grown anything? It can be a lot of fun and a little challenging, too. You can spend a whole lifetime learning about plants and still not know everything. But we gave Charlie some of your questions to see what he knows. My name is Claude. My name is Alexandria. We're seven-year-old twins. We come from Baltimore, Maryland. And our question... No, no, it's me. And our questions are... Why is there so many plants, and why are they so important? Uh, There are so many plants because of the nature of plants themselves. When they they cross with each other, they create new plants, and those new plants are a little bit different than the mother or father plant, kind of like kids. You know, kids are a little bit different than their parents. And as that keeps going on and on and on, you get more and more plants and more and more diversity or more and more differences in them. And then you have factors like, well, some plants grow well on mountains. Some plants grow well by the, the ocean. Some plants grow well in hot climates. Some plants grow well in cool places. So because... Because of the weather and the climate conditions and the soil conditions that might be there, you'll get more diversity that keeps happening. So that's the beauty of our planet is that there's so much diversity depending upon where you are on the planet with all these different plants. And it's important because 
as the old saying goes, in diversity there's strength. The more diverse things are, the more different things are, that means if some kind of weather system comes through and and harms a certain kind of plant, um, the other ones that are different from that plant may not get harmed because they have a certain different constitution, a certain uh, structure to them that will save them from whatever harm that's coming their way. Do you have a sense of what plants do, what their function is in our world? I mean, for one thing, people and animals eat them. Mm-hmm. What else? Well, we're breathing every time you inhale. It's because of the plants, because they they let off oxygen through their process of making the green leaves and the photosynthesis, which is a big word, but it's basically taking the sunshine and making the green leaf. Through that whole process, uh, they'll let off oxygen, and because of oxygen, that's what we breathe. That allows life to be here on the planet. So that's probably the biggest thing that they do. You mean we need plants in order to have our own lives. That is pretty big. That is pretty important. <laughs> All right, let's tackle a few of the seed questions. My name is Coco, and I am four. I live in California. Well, my question is, how are seeds made? Uh, Seeds are made uh, through a process what we call pollination. So pollination, there's a little bit of that word called pollen, and that's that yellow stuff. If you ever look in a flower or if you ever look at bees flying around, you might see they have this little yellow stuff attached to them. Or if you put your finger or your nose sometimes in a flower, you have a little yellow on it. That's pollen. And what that pollen does is that that pollen will actually pollinate. That's where that word comes from, pollination, um, the flower, meaning that the pollen goes in and it finds the comparable part in the structure of the flower. So the pollen is male and the comparable part would be the female part of that flower. Through that process, that actually makes the flower pollinated. (laughs) So then you get a seed. The seed is the result of that cross between the male and the female parts of the flower. So in other words, you can't have a flower turn into a new flower or make another flower unless it has another flower to do the job with. It's the way babies are made Oh, yes, exactly. You need two. But what blows my mind, Charlie, is what you're saying is pollen is male. That's kind of hard to wrap my head around because when I think of, you know, a male and a female, I don't necessarily think of some yellow dust as a male. (laughs) So what does that mean? But in in the the world of plants, that's kind of how it is. So that dust has all the, the material that needs to actually fertilize that Fertilize the egg, if you want to look at it more in terms of human terms or mammals terms. Uh, you're fertilizing an egg that's, that is in that flower, and that yellow dust is what does it. It sounds magical, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. And the other thing about it is there's different kinds of flowers. So you have what we call perfect flowers, meaning that the, the pollen and the egg that's in that flower, all it needs is to have that pollen just gently drop down onto the egg, and it's fertilized. So tomatoes, for example. You don't need bees. You don't need anybody else to come in. You just all you need, need the is wind? Little, the wind to jostle it, or even your hand is to move it a little bit, and the the pollen drops down like raindrops, and it just fertilizes that egg. The other one, of course, is what you were alluding to, being that the pollen comes from a different flower. So some plants will have only uh, plants that don't have a pollen on their flower, or they have the wrong kind of pollen, so they need a pollen from one flower to the next that'll come. And that's where the bees and the butterflies and the hummingbirds and all these other creatures will pollinate the plants. And the result of all that kind of goes back to our first question about diversity. That creates the diversity, the differences, because you're getting a pollen from one plant into a pollen of another plant, so the offspring or the babies will look a little bit different, a little like the dad, a little like the mom. (laughs) So that's how the seed is made. Uh, Yes. A flower gets the pollen inside of it, and that kind of creates a new plant, but how? 
So the pollen goes into the, the egg, into the ovule. That's another technical term, but that's the egg that's in, in there. Um, and it pollinates it and creates the little embryo, the little baby, you might say. And that would be what's inside that seed. And then that seed has to basically drop off the plant somehow and get into the right. Dirt, right. So once the flower fades, those petals drop off. You often will see a little structure that's left there. That could be a seed pod. And it may be the seed itself or maybe, like I say, a pod, meaning that it's covered by something and inside is the seed. The covering is there really just to protect it. My name is Miriam. I'm eight years old. I live in Montpelier, Vermont. And my question is, how does germination work? So germination is basically the seed starts to grow. That's the basic way to look at germination. And germination starts with just what we've been talking about, the male fertilizing the female. Um, That little embryo gets fertilized, and then the seed has that coat that protects it. And so for that seed to actually grow, it needs the right conditions. And so nature has been perfect in figuring this one out. So in a cold climate, like up here in Vermont, where we are, uh, you have this happening during the summer and the fall, and you have these seeds. So they drop to the ground, which is a natural process. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily, uh, it wouldn't necessarily work if they started germinating immediately because it's going into winter and the mm-hmm. plant will die. So they have a process where they go into a, a, a thing we call dormancy, like a sleep, basically. And so the the seed is just kind of sleep there and sleep there and wait till the right conditions occur towards the spring. And those conditions would be the right amount of moisture and the right amount of temperature, nice, nice warm temperature. Those are the two key things to have that seed start to grow or germinate. One, and each seed is a little bit different about what they need and how much they need. But it is usually those two factors. Once they start growing and germinating, then that seed coat will break open. The little embryo starts growing. It's almost like an, a little chick in, a, in an egg. You know, mm-hmm. The chick starts growing, starts pecking its way out of the egg. Have you ever seen that happen? The same thing is kind of happening with the seed coat. The embryo starts starts growing, the seed coat breaks apart. Because um, there's so much pressure, it has to there's push pressure, that right. and, husk away. And the seed coat has kind of been weakened a little bit because of the warmth and the moisture. And, and then out comes the little sprout. And a, a nice way to watch this actually happen is if you get an avocado pit. And you put the avocado pit with some toothpicks on it over a glass of water so the bottom's in a little bit of water. And just watch. It'll take a few weeks or so, but eventually that pit, which is kind of like the seed coat, will start breaking apart and out comes the shoot. Can you actually get a real avocado plant that will make avocados if you do that? Well, you'll get the avocado plant, but you probably won't get the avocados. Why not? Uh, <laughs> unless you live in Southern California or a warm climate. I should say that, yeah, because I know people are listening all around the world. If you're in a warm climate, yes, you will eventually get an avocado. If you plant it in If the... you plant, but you have to plant it outside. It can't be like an indoor plant. It has to be an outdoor plant. It's ah. a tree. So those of us in colder climates, we're just going to get a little sprout. That's it. Hi. My name is Kai. I'm six years old. I live in Ottawa, Canada. And my question is, how can plants grow so big if they start from such a small seed? Ah, good question, Kai. So, yeah, it's amazing when you think of like a redwood tree, for example. It's a big, huge tree. If you ever see the seed of a redwood, it's tiny. It's small. Uh, so how does that all that happen? Well, inside that seed are things we call genes. So what genes are are like information. It's all this information that's inside that seed. And it tells that seed how big it's going to grow, how wide it's going to grow. Um, it's kind of similar to genes that people have. So you have genes in a baby that's born, and in that, those genes, it'll tell if that baby's going to have blonde hair or black hair, or if they have blue eyes or brown eyes, or all the different 
changes, all the different parts of what makes the characteristics of that people. So the same thing is happening in that seed. All that information is in there. And once that seed starts to grow through that germination that we just talked about, all that information starts to actually happen. And so even though the seed might be tiny, because it has the right information, it'll tell it that it needs to grow this big, this wide, have this kind of fruit on it, this kind of flowers, whatever it is. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that you can have such a small seed turn into such a big plant. Right, and all because there's a little mechanism in there that's telling it, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, we'll learn about why many plants are green and what kind of music plants like. But first, a message for the adults who are listening. Support for our program comes from Oak Meadow, providing secular, student-centered homeschooling curriculum and a teacher-supported distance learning school for K-12. through Oak Meadow has encouraged kids to follow their curiosity and uncover the answers to But Why for 45 years. To learn more, visit oakmeadow.com. This is But Why, a podcast for curious kids. I'm Jane Lindholm. We're talking all about plants today with gardener and author Charlie Nardozzi. We've been talking about seeds and having the right conditions to grow. Mm -hmm. And one of the key conditions is they have to be in dirt or soil. Mm -hmm. And we got this question from Carson. I'm five years old. My city is Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And my question is, where does dirt come from? Sure, that's a great question because you know we think of the earth as being this living entity with all these trees and plants on it, but really most of the earth is rock. So we only have a thin layer of this soil or dirt that goes all around it where we grow everything and allows life to exist, but underneath that is all this rock. And that's where the dirt comes from. The the simplest answer would be rock. <laughs> so rock is there, all different fi- kinds of rock, and through a process we call weatherization. So it's kind of a big word, but weatherization is the weather is having an effect on the rock. So through rain and through temperature changes and through glaciers scraping along it and through wind and all these factors of weather, what happens is that rock starts to break down. So if you've ever been by a stream, especially at the end of the stream going into a lake or into an ocean, you'll see a lot of these rocks rocks that have kind of broken down and into these little granulars. We call it sand a lot of times because it's just like little pieces. All that is is really just kind of pieces of rock. So that's where the dirt comes from, but that rock itself is not going to support life. You can't just kind of take that stuff up and put a seed in it and have things grow. So to actually make it soil, to actually make it alive, it needs organic matter. And organic matter is what it sounds like, something that was once alive. Because organic means alive. Alive, yes, exactly. So uh, leaves and grass and dead bugs or any kind of thing that once was alive, as that material gets mixed in with this uh, rock that has been broken down, crushed and pulverized into this dirt, that combination creates soil. And it's from that soil that we can grow all these seeds and all these plants. So if I take a handful of dirt, what I'm holding in my hands is some pieces, very, very, very tiny pieces of rock. Mm-hmm. And rocks have minerals, which are important. Yep. And 
I'm getting what used to be trees and leaves and bugs and dead animals and other things that were alive that have broken down. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the fuel for all of the new plants, right? Yes, exactly. That's where, they get, that's where the moisture and the nutrients and all that comes from. And the old crushed up rock is really kind of the medium or is the, the material that the, all this can be housed in so it can grow. So that's one of the most amazing things about this life cycle we have on Earth, If, mm-hmm. I, if the way I think of it, Charlie, is because we're all able to grow and live and play and have plants to eat and animals because of this soil that basically feeds the plants and then we eat the plants and then when we die we go back into the ground and we become this organic matter for new plants and when plants and trees die and when animals die Mm -hmm. they turn back into dirt so it's essentially this Circle it's just a of circle life, right? of life. That's right. <laughs> it just keeps going around and round. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the planet is that this circle kind of works, and through this process of weatherization and creating soil and things alive and things dying, uh, you just kind of create more and more life and more and more diversity of life, which is amazing. Yeah. Okay, so we have a few more questions about plants. My name is Helena. I'm five years old, and I live in West Orange, New Jersey, Oxford Terrace, and and I want to know why flowers are different colors. Why are plants and trees green? So that was Harlan asking about flowers being different colors, and then Ori, who lives in Israel, asking about why plants and trees are so often green. Uh, flowers have many, many different colors, and the reason for all the different colors really is flowers are an attractant. They're trying to put on a show. It's like a beauty show. It's like, come see me, come see me. And so they're trying to attract the bees, the butterflies, the hummingbirds, all those insects and creatures that will pollinate them. And we talked about pollination and creation the seed, they want to attract them in there so that they can have more seed and have more of their own kind of plants. Really, their whole purpose in life is to make seeds so they can keep going, keep the, the lineage or the, their life or their family going. So that purple flower is saying, hey, butterfly, look yeah, at yeah, me. Yeah, look at me. I'm beautiful. Look come at me. over and come say over. hello. And they come in and they pollinate it and you get the seeds and the seeds disperse and the, and the plant is very happy because it's like an old grandma saying, oh, look at all my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. <laughs> I've done so well. <laughs> So that's really why there's there's color in flowers is to bring them. Why why there's different kinds of colors really is just all about that diversity that we talked about at the beginning uh, of why plants are, are so different. And because certain insects, certain hummingbirds, certain butterflies will be attracted to certain color flowers or certain kinds of flowers or certain shaped flowers. So in order to make their attractiveness the most attractive <laughs> for the biggest group, they try to come up with a shape and a color that's going to bring people to them or bring these creatures to them. Do you know why, what makes a plant purple and what makes another flower red? What are the different ways that colors are created within the plant? Well, within the plant, there are chemicals, uh, call them pigments. And so uh, based on what kind of pigments you have, uh, those are the colors that will actually kind of exhibit. So the interesting thing about pigments kind of goes into the other uh, question. Uh, I think it was Ari that had about the uh, white trees and plants are green, is that we have this, this visible light spectrum, you know, the spectrum of light that we see is only a small spectrum of what's actually out there. And within that spectrum is all the colors of the rainbow. And so certain plants will absorb certain colors. And 
the way it works is that if it absorbs that color, we don't really see it anymore. So if it absorbs blue or red, we don't see that. But most plants can't absorb the color green. And so that's why leaves are green is because we're actually getting a reflection of that green spectrum of light um, back at us. And the same thing is coming true with all these different flowers. So if you have a red flower, it's reflecting the red back or the purple, the purple back. So the plants need those different spectrums of light to grow, but they don't often absorb everything or all those spectrums. And so that's why we see the different color flowers. I'm thinking back to my biology classes from when I was a kid, and one word keeps flashing in my brain, and that's chlorophyll. Is Ah. there a connection between the green color and chlorophyll? Yes. Chlorophyll is the actual chemical in the leaves themselves that will absorb um, all that sunlight that's coming through, and the chlorophyll is considered green. You know, you you think of chlorophyll, you think of green. (laughs) And it is because it's reflecting back that, that color spectrum. Plants are pretty neat, but they're really important, too. Not only do they feed us and provide oxygen so that we can breathe, but Charlie says there's another good reason to keep plants in your house. Well, they clean the air, too. We were talking about all the reason for plants, and I I love the the NASA research that's been done around this, where you have houseplants, you know, things that simple houseplants that you might have growing in your house. And not only are they providing oxygen, but they're taking toxins. They're taking chemicals that might come from your your paint on your walls or your rugs. And they're taking those and absorbing those so that we don't have to breathe them. And those are toxins that might not be good for our body. So plants are cool things. I was told once you should talk to your plants that it'll make them happy. Yes. That's true? (laughs) Yes, you can talk to them. You can play them uh, nice soft music, like classical music they like. Charlie, now you're just pulling my leg. No, no, no. They like certain kinds of music. How Uh, do you know that? Oh, they've been researched. It's been done. (laughs) They play different kinds of music to plants, and they saw how they reacted as far as their growth rates and their general health. And they didn't like that really like heavy metal, acid rock kind of stuff. Didn't really go so well. But a nice classical piece, a little, you know, Mozart or something like that worked very well. Why do you think? I think it's all about sound waves. I mean, this is getting into a whole other thing, but there's sound waves that will affect the growth of plants. You know, plants uh, have a consciousness to them. They have like, almost like a, a mind, you might think. And there's well, been, they're alive. They're alive, exactly. And there's a, been a lot of research recently done about plants talking to each other through their root systems. And so, for example, if one tree over here is, is getting attacked by an insect, it'll send a message to all the other trees through their root systems that they in contact with under the ground to say, watch out, here comes this bug. And they'll notice, the scientists will notice that in those other trees, certain chemicals will start getting produced that will be ways of warding off that bug so they don't get attacked. So trees and plants will actually talk to each other. And it makes sense then if they're getting this information from each other that as we talk to them with our voices or through music or other things, that'll have an effect on them. So be nice to your houseplants. Be nice to your houseplants. Give them a little pat. Thanks so much to Charlie Nardozzi for answering all our plant questions. Now, don't forget, if you have a question, have an adult record it. You can do this on a smartphone or an iPad or a computer or however you have a microphone, and you can then email the file. Don't forget to tell us your first name, where you live, and how old you are. And then send the file to questions at butwhykids.org. We love hearing from you. But Why is produced by Melody Baudette and me, Jane Lindholm, at Vermont Public Radio. Our theme music is by Luke Reynolds. We had additional music this week from Ketza and Poddington Bear. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another question all about instruments. Until then, stay curious. Remember our question from before the podcast started about how wildflowers grow? This time of year, some flowers bloom in the woods and only live for a short, short time. For our series Northeast Nature, I went for a walk in the woods with naturalist Jack Markoski to learn more about spring flowers. What I love the most about spring ephemerals is that they have such this narrow window of time that they are photosynthesizing and, and appearing to our eyes, right? And so they're coming up from the ground after the ground thaws, so really short period, all the way to when the leaves come out in the canopy. And that can change in the year and really make it a magical time to find ephemerals. Ephemerals are a type of flower that's short-lived. That's what ephemeral means. Maybe you can find some on a walk in the woods where you live. If you want to get But Why for your classroom or home study, sign up for But Why Adventures Northeast Nature. In this monthly series, we learn more about what's happening outside, and we have curriculum and activity guides for all students. It's free, and you can find out more at butwhykids.org nature. From PR.